Please join me in opening your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We know that. And where we don't realize that, we pray that you'd reveal it to us. Help us as we read, study, and worship you underneath the teaching and meditation of your word. Accomplish your will in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. These words of God, penned by James, put our lives in proper context. Many people have come before us, and likely many people will come after us. We appear for a little time, and then we are gone. It is incumbent upon us to understand God's purposes for us. We need to know what should characterize our lives. And so I ask you, what is your life? The question could be stated, who is your life? In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. In the context of what we are looking at this morning in the opening of Romans, we want to see what characterized Paul's life and ministry. And just to plot out our course over the next few weeks, here's where we're headed. This week, we are going to look at a distinctive messenger. Next week, a distinctive message, and the following week, a distinctive Messiah. This morning, as we study just the first verse of Romans, we will note that Paul's life and ministry were marked by three traits. Humility, authority, and purpose. Yet even while introducing himself to the church, we have to notice that there is a greater emphasis on the Savior whom he represents than even himself who he is introducing. Look, please, with me at just the first verse of Romans. Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. His emphasis is not, I am Paul of, Tar- of uh, Tarsus, I, uh, not, I am Paul, formerly a Pharisee, uh, not Paul, I'm blameless in regards to the law, or Paul, I have these credentials, it's Paul, I am a servant of Christ Jesus, I have been called and sent out by Jesus Christ, and I have been set apart for the gospel of God by God himself. The emphasis is upon the one who he serves, 
the one who calls him and sends him, and the one who has set him apart for ministry. So that should be our emphasis as we consider it this morning. The first question, what, excuse me, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Again, he starts by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant of Christ Jesus. In a Jewish context, this title holds distinction. You'll remember that Moses was called the servant of the Lord in Deuteronomy 34, 5. And uh, toward the end of Joshua's life and ministry, he ascended to this designation in Joshua 24, 29. He was called the servant of the Lord. David in Psalm 89, verses 3 and 20, was referred to as the servant of the Lord. And then the prophets attained this lofty status in places like 2 Kings 17, 23. Even in the New Testament, we can see the significance of this position when Paul is talking to Timothy. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And he goes on from there. But it's the, the Lord's servant or the servant of the Lord. This is a, a position of distinction when it comes to the Jewish circles. Or context. In the Gentile context, however, it refers to a person under authority. Not that the Jewish context doesn't give that concept as well, but is it a far more humbling setting to be called the servant of someone? It's not, he's not talking about a diakonia minister, he's talking about a doulas servant, a house servant, a bond servant. The servant of the Lord is under God's direct, supreme, sovereign authority. And Paul lets us know from the very start of this letter that he is a man under the authority of God. And so he's demonstrating a mark of humility. Let's take a look, please, at a usage of this concept of servant. Please look at Matthew chapter 8. The context here is a centurion seeking help from Jesus. And he is sensitive to the reality of how he might communicate to Jesus and how that might look to those around him. He was very concerned that he did not want the Lord Jesus to appear in any way to be under the authority of this man who possessed great authority, the centurion. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. I, this is inter pretty interesting. 
that this centurion was concerned that it not appear as though he beckoned the Lord Jesus and he obeyed him. He was a man under authority. He a man who held authority over others. He had servants who did his bidding. And he didn't want Jesus to be appearing that way. Paul is owning this place of servitude and submission. It rightly characterized his life. So we have to ask ourselves, who do I serve? You have to ask yourself, who do you serve? You're already in Matthew 8. Take a look at Matthew 6 for just a moment. Vital question, vital reality. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, the Lord Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Will you say it with me, please? You cannot serve God and money. Now, the money is just a placeholder, right? It's not the only thing that, could, that Jesus could have used. He could have used, you can't serve God and pleasure. You can't serve God and stuff. You can't serve God and people. It's one or the other. Now, what's interesting about that is you can serve God by serving people and serve people by serving God. The question is, Who's at the top of the chain? What is my absolute, utter end in that servitude? We can pay lip service to serving God, but our lives, our thoughts, our pursuits, and our actions tell the real story. Whom do I serve? Take a look back in Romans, please. Romans chapter 1. So not only do we have to ask the question, who do you serve? Who do I serve? We have to ask a second question that arises from Paul's introduction of himself to the church at Rome. And that is, who has called and commissioned you? He says he has called to be an apostle, called to be an apostle. I want to make something clear from the start of this part of our discussion. There's interpretation and then there's application, right? The interpretation here, Paul was called into a unique apostolic ministry. The apostolic ministry was entrusted to a few men in the beginning of the church age. It is not a continuing office after the first century. Paul was one of the selected vessels through whom God revealed His will and His Word to the church. That's the interpretation called to be an apostle. The application, however, is far broader than that. Because the concept of being sent is what the word apostle means. Apostle means one sent forth with orders. 
One sent forth with orders. And that, my friend, is true of every believer in Jesus Christ. We are all sent forth with orders. It's true of all of us. For Paul, however, it was a unique call upon his life. He was similar. This call upon his life was similar to how God called Jeremiah. Take a look, please, with me at Jeremiah chapter 1. Isaiah had a similar call from God. But we'll concentrate for a moment on Jeremiah's call, called to be a prophet, where Paul was called to be an apostle. In Jeremiah 1, beginning in verse 4, listen to what God's Word says. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, but behold... I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It's, that's pretty spectacular, isn't it? It's pretty great to have this record of God calling a person directly into the ministry. God's call on our lives is unmistakable and unavoidable. When a person who is called by God, runs contrary to that call, it is as if he were kicking against the goads. Paul found that out when he tried to do contrary to the will of God. God had a call on his life, and God, in his interaction with him through the Lord Jesus' appearance, said, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Jonah, in an incredibly obvious manner, experienced an unshakable call from God. Um, do you remember who won? <laughs> I thought you might. An apostle is one who is sent forth with orders. And Paul, from the beginning of his ministry that he was called to, knew what those orders were. Take a look, please, with me at Acts 26. Paul is giving his defense of his manner of life and ministry before King Agrippa. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 12. Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. That's a different commission than the one he had from God that was about to come. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. 
And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in whom I will appear to you. Excuse me, to those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me, or excuse me, by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. We could read a lot more. In the conversion of the Apostle Paul, as he was headed off to fulfill his religious duty commissioned by the chief priests, God intervened, called him, and commissioned him, and gave him specific orders about what he was to do. He was sent forth with orders. He tells the Galatians this, it was when God was pleased to reveal His Son in me in order that I might might preach Him among the Gentiles. That's His call. His call was to bring the message of the Gospel first to the Jews, but then to the Gentiles, to, to the nations. This was God's ultimate plan. He told us a long, long time ago. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just your family, Abraham. All the families of the earth will be blessed. And God called and commissioned the Apostle Paul to bring the gospel to the nations. We have all been sent out on this mission of bringing the gospel to the world. As we think about this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Paul's apostolic authority was not earned. Obvious. He was called before he was born. was not earned, but entrusted. The authority was not his own, but rather it was the authority of the one sending him. So head back to Romans chapter 1, just a couple of pages to your right. We're recognizing Paul is introducing himself to the church at Rome, and his emphasis is upon being a bondservant of Christ Jesus, one who has been called out from his mother's womb and placed into a position of authority, but his authority is not his own authority, it's the authority of the one who called him. Humility, authority, and finally, purpose. Purpose. 
What is your purpose? It says at the end of verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. The, the term set apart is the Greek term aphorizo. Aphorizo. And it means marked off from others by boundaries. God had a unique marking of his man. And you know what's interesting? When we talk or read in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 about Jesus' superiority to angels, in chapter 1, he tells us that Jesus is superior to angels in his divinity. And in chapter 2, he's, Jesus is superior to angels in his humanity. As he talks about Jesus' superiority to angels in his divinity, he concludes it about talking about ministering spirits that are sent out to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. In other words, God marks off all of his people that are going to be his, making sure that they will come to that place. It's just a beautiful thing to recognize that God will never lose any of those for whom he has set aside for himself. Set apart for the gospel of God. God has done this marking by boundaries of the Apostle Paul for this apostolic ministry and this gospel ministry. He said it this way in Galatians chapter 1. I have a bunch of verses now. They're going to be on the screen. So follow along. Let it wash over you. Jot some notes down, whatever you need to do. We're talking right now about purpose. We live in a world that is utterly confused about purpose. You don't have to go very far to figure out how confused people are. Just think about time. How long do you want to live in this tent? Okay, I want to live, I want to live until I'm such and such. How do you want those years to go? Well, I want, I want to have my health in place and I want to have finances in place so I can have freedom, etc., etc. I want to be able to, to do things in my, upon my retirement and go places and, and I want to be able to, to, to enjoy these years. They all come to an end. And what is a thimble filled with water compared to the ocean's depths of water? It's not even a good illustration about how short our life is compared to eternity. We spend so much time worrying about our physical and financial and social well-being that we neglect that which is eternal. So we live amongst a, a, a world confused about true lasting purpose. And here we have Paul, from the very start of his ministry, knowing exactly what his purpose is. And, and I want to say to us, myself and to you, we can know exactly what our purpose is. God has made it as clear as day. And we'll recognize it through the commissioning and calling of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 1.13, the Bible says this, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, age among my people. 
So extremely zealous was I for the tradition, traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer or consult with anyone. I didn't need to go to them. God commissioned me. God's word has commissioned us. We have a call in our lives. While Paul had many responsibilities in life, one aspect stood out above the rest. One area dominated how he ordered his life. It was the fact that God had set him apart to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can hear it in other places from him in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still... Still, still entrusted with a stewardship, a stewardship of the gospel. In Colossians 1, he says it this way, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. What was it? To make the word of God fully known. Later on in that passage, he clarifies exactly what that, that idea is. Him, Jesus, we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, he has a sense of purpose. God has called him. This, this made everything else in Paul's life come into line. There are other things. He still had to eat and drink. He still ministered to people in Need, he still had to work to provide for his needs. It's not like he didn't do anything else. It's that this stood out above the rest and everything fell on, into line underneath it. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Can we just pause there? Even though it's not the purpose of why we're in this, um, I want you to meditate for just a moment on what it means to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. What exactly does the Lord Jesus Christ provide for us that makes us the most blessed people on the face of the earth? Amen. He's removed from our record, believer, every sin. And he has added to our record, believer, every obedience that he himself demonstrated. He fully 
satisfied the demands of the law in our place. And it's been credited to our account. We have received as a gracious gift of God eternal righteousness which equals eternal life. If you have turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ, every mar on your record has been removed and every righteousness needed has been provided so you have a place to stand one day before a glorious, holy judge. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was made a minister of this. He had his burden pressing down on him. He's a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be sent out, set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he said, this doesn't come easily. At the end of that passage in verse 13, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. One day, we will all come to the end of our time. Our race will have been run. When we're in the middle of the race, there are times that we are wearied by circumstances, by trials, by the weight of our own battle with sin, and by the weight and care of ministry. Well, the author of Hebrews encouraged his readers not to allow these elements of weariness to control them or displace them, but instead instructed the believers to lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. We want to say at the end of our journey what the Apostle Paul was able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What is your life? What marks your life? Humility? The authority of God upon you to bring forth the Word? Purpose to bring the Gospel? Remember, your life is a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. What will be left of your time here? If we live as servants of Jesus Christ who have been called and commissioned by God, if we realize that we have been set apart for the gospel of God, the way that we order our days will be undoubtedly altered. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've called the Apostle Paul that you brought about these elements of humility, 
authority and purpose in his life and illustrated for us the same traits that are needed for us today. We ask that you would help us to reflect upon your good working and provision and to place ourselves in your care ready to be used by you for your glory's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.